The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So, our preaching text is Mark 14, verse 26 through 31, and I'm going to read that for us this morning. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you in Galilee, to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said empathetically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. This is the word of God. Thank you, Aaron. A um, couple things before we uh, dive into the word this morning. Um, man, I love how this body uses their gifts and how I think we put on display the gifts of the body and we are constantly looking for ways for that to happen. And over the last few weeks, uh, we've heard from uh, Terrence Gray, um, who preached um, s- such an effective sermon on love. And you need to go back two weeks to listen to that online. Uh, and then last week, Michael Rhodes uh, preached a sermon that I think really shook the foundation of so many of us in this body. Um, and, and you need to listen to that one as well. Um, and then last week also is Adriana Christmas. Uh, Adriana, our worship leader, is also the director of Stax Music Academy, and uh, their choir is on tour this month in Europe. And so she has an incredible blessing to be traveling Europe with the Stax Choir um, and, and music department and uh, performing. And I can't wait for her to give us a report on who all they got to uh, perform for. Um, and uh, Betsy Brasher led worship last week. Whitney Hale uh, is leading this morning. And uh, we're going to have uh, Brooke is going to lead next week. And so I just I love uh, just to see our body uh, just jumping in and serving. Um, also, I, uh, I want to put uh, we, we've had some weddings this summer and. Willie and uh, Marissa Baldwin are here for the, well, not for the first time. Y'all have seen y'all many times, but I keep forgetting. So let's congratulate Mr. and Mrs. Willie Baldwin. There we go. Come on. Stand up. There we go. You should have seen their first dance, man. Willie brought it out of the closet, man. He, he brought back the old days. It was... Uh, it's going to take me a while to get over that. Uh, probably Marissa, too. Uh, but, uh, no, that was, what a celebration. And um, uh, Caroline and Jacob are getting married. Are they in here? There's Caroline. Ah, oh, Jacob's not here. Caroline, stand up. That's right. She's alone. But they get married next weekend? All right. Up in the great city of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Go Hawks. There we go. There we go. Now that marriage will take because uh, of where it is. But um, And as I said, you know, a year ago we sent off um, Catherine Norman to graduate school in Nashville. And she came back too. And we were so glad. Catherine, are you here? There she is in the very back. 
It's good to see her back. Um, Man, there's just so much news. I saw on Facebook, LG got a new job at the Grizz Academy. It's good to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, we've just got so much going on, and I'm, I'm sorry if I've overlooked you, but uh, it's pretty, pretty exciting. But, oh, and as I prayed last week, we had before us a need to raise $10,000 for... Um, Rachel Gard's processor to restore her hearing. Um, she was born with a, a hearing impairment and um, um, a cochlear processor is the only thing that, that allows her to hear and therefore function um, in, in the workplace and so forth. And folks, within 24 hours, that money was raised. Um, so, yes. And... What's so encouraging about that is the the largest donation that I was made aware of, at least, was $500. Now, um, so that was a ton of $10 gifts, $100 gifts, $50 gifts, um, and that's how it should be. Uh, that is so exciting. I know that Rachel ordered her new processor and hopefully it'll be in the next week. Maybe it's not already in, is it? So, uh, maybe, probably not, but anyway. All right, Uh, let's go now to God's Word. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into Mark chapter 14. Father, you are so good, and we worship you as good. Um, God, we thank you for this body. We thank you for what you're doing. Uh, We we just thank you so much uh, for the marriages around us, the new relationships around us. We thank you for uh, Caroline and Jacob and their upcoming wedding next weekend, and uh, Lord, just bless them. Uh, Father, thank you for new jobs. And Lord, I pray that those in this place this morning that are struggling, that um, need some encouragement, that are looking for a job, that um, Father may be looking for a spouse or whatever they're uh, looking for, I pray that they would be encouraged to know that you're at work here. And yet it's not the circumstances, it's not our changed circumstances that is the foundation of our joy. Uh, but, Lord Jesus, you are the foundation of our joy, and we're a community built on you and your hope, uh, the new heavens and the new earth, and the present gospel that is your power. Um, and so, God, I pray that that this morning as we go to your word, that you would encourage us, that you would humble us, that you would change us. Father, I pray that we would believe new things. Um, Father, I pray that we would see old things new. But more than anything, Jesus, would you be exalted in this place and would our hearts just um, fall more and more in love with you. May we become less and less confident of self, um, that we might be radical lovers of one another, of you, um, that God, Memphis might know that your gospel is true. And so, Father, we just pray that you would break down your word to us. There's no deficiency in your word, but there's... Plenty of deficiency in our hearts, eyes, and ears, and there's plenty of deficiency in this man who stands before these friends this morning. Uh, So come, Lord Jesus, come by your Spirit. May your word be power. May it be life. Show us Jesus. He's our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 1980 Winter Olympics, uh, the USA hockey team, men's hockey team, made it to the final. 
against the Soviet Union. And we always want to beat the Soviet Union. We want to beat Russia in anything. And, um, and yet, the Soviet Union's hockey team was the best in the world, bar none. And everybody knew it, even the USA men's hockey team. And Herb Brooks was uh, the coach of the Olympic team. And uh, before the game, he gave a rousing speech. And one thing that uh, he said, or really how he started uh, to build up these men, was he said, men, if we played the Soviet Union ten times, they would win nine times. But they will not win tonight. They will not win this time. This is our game. This is our... And he just built from there. And the USA hockey team went out and won the gold medal against Russia. And when we think about a pregame speech, when we think about facing obstacles and challenges that are much larger than us, that's the kind of speech that we think we need. We need someone to fire us up. We need someone to tell us, you can do it. And yet Jesus comes to the end of his life on earth. He's about to pass the baton to the church, to his disciples, to go and literally preach the gospel to the world. He's about to pass the baton to the twelve, which will, as we all know, will ultimately be eleven, and then back to twelve in Acts. And yet what does he do? He institutes the Lord's Supper. They leave there after this, the Lord's Supper, this meal with Jesus, and, and they go out to the Mount of Olives and they sing a hymn. And then Jesus looks at them and here's his pregame speech. You are all going to fall away. That's it. Every one of you are going to fall away. And, <laughs> and, and Peter gets it. Peter hears him and he said, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, all these guys might fall away, but not me. I mean, even if I have to die, I'm not going to fall away. And Jesus says, right. And what Jesus is doing is he is showing us how the gospel of the kingdom of God works. It's not about mustering up self-determination and I can be a faithful follower of Jesus. But it's about receiving the message of the kingdom and the gospel and that is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet all are justified freely by His grace. You see, how the gospel of Jesus works is we are to empty ourselves of us. We are empty ourselves of self-confidence, of self-dependency, of self-righteousness, of hope. And we are to place all of that on Jesus and say, you are our hero. You are our savior. And that's how the kingdom of God works. Why? Because Paul tells us how powerful our flesh is. He, he tells us in Romans 7:19, "For I do not do the good that I want to do. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The struggle of the Christian life, your struggle, therefore, is not for perfect obedience, but your struggle and my struggle daily is to stop trusting me. And to empty me of me, that I might be full of Jesus and all he's done for me. 
And that is a power to accomplish the works of the Spirit that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, the first of which is love. And that's what God is doing in the world. That's what God is doing in your life. He is not about making you successful. He's about making you loving. Because what is going to stand before the world as a true witness is a community of people like you and me that love radically. You see, here's the deal. As long as we are full of us, as long as we can find one person that we feel better than, the power of the gospel is hamstrung to do what it is designed and powerful enough to do. So the best news that you can hear this morning is you are worse than you think you are. The the, the freedom of the gospel only comes when we fall into the reality that our hope is not being better, but being loved by God. Being recipients of His grace. Being adopted into His family. Being chosen and brought into His side. And that's our hope. So how do we get it? Well, first of all, we need to see that the result of engaging with ourselves as sinners, and that's what this passage is calling us to do. That's what Jesus is doing. He is getting Peter and the disciples to engage with themselves, not as obedient, faithful, but as sinners. The result of engaging with ourselves as sinners is loving community. When we can engage ourselves as sinners, then we have hope of developing love in our lives toward those around us, especially toward those that we presently are not loving or do not love. Let me give you an example of this. A couple of weeks ago, you know I've been traveling quite a bit, and we had our our national, our denomination, the EPC, had their national meeting in Sacramento, California. Poor me. Uh, poor Rachel, Terrence, Ashley Gray, we had to go to Sacramento, California. And on Tuesday of that week, I was responsible for putting on a three-hour seminar on church planting. And um, I'm, I'm on the national church planting team that oversees all the church planting in the EPC. And so during um, the, that three-hour seminar in which I just lined up a bunch of speakers that, to speak about 20 to 30 minutes apiece, um, Sandy Wilson, uh, former pastor of Second Prez, um, talked. And he talked for about 30 minutes, and it was the last 30 minutes. And when he, when, when, during his um, teaching, which was incredible, by the way, um, he said this. He, he said, now... You know, if you really want to know how to do church planning, I mean, there are guys much more qualified than I like, like Rufus Smith of Hope Church, or Richard Reeves of Downtown Church, or Mike Moses of his church in Charlotte. And I was standing in the side of the room, and when Sandy Wilson said, Richard Reeves, man, something came alive in me like, I felt justified. I mean, I felt alive. I felt like, yeah, that's right. This denomination is blessed to have me. And that lasted until the next day at lunch. 
because we had another church planning function that our national team was charged to put on, primarily for church planners around the country. And a fellow teammate of mine was leading it. And he kicked off by doing this. He kicked off by introducing the national church planning team. And he introduced every single member but me. And as, as that happened, I'm just sitting there and I start just building this case against this guy. You know, I mean, he's planted one church. <laughs> I mean, I've planted three churches. This guy doesn't even belong on the team. This, I mean, by the end of it, there was so much just negative hate and anger and bitterness in my heart. And yet it's funny because Rachel was sitting right by me. She kind of nudged me. She said, well, are you going to raise your hand? I'm like, oh, I'm not. I have to promote myself. I mean, I'm much better than that. I'm not promoting myself. I'm just going to sit here and stew and hate this man and kill him over and over and over and over. And do you see what was happening to Christian community? You see, the day before, man, I love everybody because I'm publicly acknowledged. The next day, these people don't deserve me. I mean, do you see it? And do you see that what I was building my, my identity on the day before was so flimsy? That all that has to happen is someone has to just make a mistake and forget me and even acknowledging me in public. How pathetic is that? And yet that's where we see Peter. Uh, Peter is... An apostle, a follower of Jesus, and he is going to think that he's better. Uh, He is going to stand up, we're going to look at it in a minute, and put himself forward as the one that is not going to abandon Jesus. But Jesus is not just talking to Peter, he's talking to all of them. Because Mark, four chapters before this, helps us understand in in Mark chapter 10 that all of the disciples really want to be promoted. All of them have an inflated view of themselves. Um, James and John in Mark chapter 10 come to Jesus alone. They, They pull him aside, and this is what we read. Jesus responds to James and John by saying this, What do you want me to do for you? Jesus, I just love his brilliance. I mean, he knows exactly why they've come. So he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus just kind of humors them for a while. And, And what Jesus is doing is he is allowing them to walk into their own trap that they might feel the conviction and have their eyes open to how undeserving they are to sit at the right or the left of Jesus. And as we look at this and how um, 
um, you know, the other disciples receive it. They hear about it, and in verse 40, 41 of chapter 10, they say this. Or we read this. And when the ten heard it, they began to be became they began to be indignant at James and John. Do you understand that it, that this is always going on in the church? It's going on in our marriages. It's going on in our friendships. It's going on in our places of work. It's going on between us and our children, our children and us. Our, it is constantly going on. This, this need to be recognized, this need to feel better than. And what Jesus is constantly doing, and what he's doing in Mark 10, and what he's doing um, in our passage this morning, is he is showing us that community cannot happen as long as our pride is intact. As long as we feel better than at least one person, not even to mention a whole group of people, or but as long as we feel better than, the gospel is hamstrung to be the gospel. We see this in verses 42 and 45 of our chapter. And Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, church. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And what Jesus is doing with his disciples is what we must have him do with us constantly. And that is remind us that as long as we think we are better than at least one other person, the gospel is powerless in our lives. You see, I think that's why most of us put most of our effort in somehow forming a box of obedience and a lifestyle of obedience that excludes relationships with other people. As long as we can obey and meet our own standards of reading however much scripture or praying however much or witnessing however much or not doing this or doing this or whatever it is, as long as we can meet our own standards, we can feel good about us. And yet the gospel calls us to so much better. Yes, does God want us to be morally righteous? Yes, but never apart from love. You see, the greatest thing, the, the, the thing that he is seeking to produce in you and me is love. Radical love that is full of grace and truth. And dear friends, how far we fall. The second thing we need to see as the result of not engaging with ourselves as sinners is broken community. If we engage ourselves as sinners, we are going to have better community. But if we're not engaging ourselves as sinners, we're going to have broken community. I don't know if you heard this week, but Eugene Peterson, who is a um, pretty famous um, leading theologian in the church and pastor, uh, he's, he's written a bunch of books, most all I have read. Um, we had just applied for a sabbatical grant that we'll hear about in August if we get it or not. And um, 
if we get it, one of the, the things that we have in the grant is our, our leaders are going to be processing one of Eugene Peterson's books. I mean, he, his humility, he also wrote The Message, the Bible translation, The Message. Well, someone interviewed him uh, recently, and it was published this week, that, um, that his stance on the traditional family has changed. Um, then he later came out and recanted and said that that was not true, and I don't know what's going on with all that. But uh, let's just focus in on the fact that the, the commentator said, so, so would you marry if, um, you know, a same-sex couple came to you, would you perform their wedding? And he said, yes, I would. And that just, I mean, the Internet went crazy. I mean, crazy. You know, Lifeway books, we're going to take the message. We're, t- You know, just all this debate on the Internet. And as I listened to this and as I watched this, um, all I could think was, it is so hard to debate any kind of issue and make any stand in our world today, primarily because we have been so self-righteous. In the way that we even talk about truth, in the way that we even preach truth, we come across with so much self-righteousness. In fact, there's been more than self-righteousness, there's been bigotry in the church over this issue. Um, there has been uh, even hate speech in the church over this issue. And many have been mistreated, if not outright spiritually abused, over this topic. And here's what Jesus is after in the church. So does that mean that we can't talk about truth? Does that mean that we can't? No. It means that Jesus is about truth in the context of grace. Jesus is about truth in the context of mercy that we have received. He is about us loving each other, meeting each other where we are. And when we, if we as a believer go to the world and make some stand against homosexuality and we act as if there's no sexual brokenness in our lives, we are fools and we create enemies, not friends. When we isolate some as sinners and ourselves as righteous, we have destroyed the witness of the gospel in the world. And so what must we do? Shut our mouths? No, love. (laughs) Start loving out of the repentance of of our self-righteousness, out of repenting over our pride and our arrogance. Because where has, I mean, just look at the church over the last many, many, many years. Has sexual sin not destroyed many congregations, destroyed many churches? Have we not had it in our own midst? How in the world can we go to the the world and tell them how to live their lives and act like, yeah, just come and be like us, right? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I am deeply broken in every way and so are you. Sexually, intellectually, emotionally, in every way. And I have no right to act any different. And yet Peter, Peter stands and says, even if all fall away, I will not. 
And you know, I would say that most people in the church read that and go, yeah, that's what God wants from me. That's not what God wants from you. Do we not see this? We see what God wants with Paul in Romans 9, and really Romans 8, 9, and 10. He's talking about the deep theology of predestination. One of the hardest doctrines of the church to, to comprehend. In fact, it's impossible to comprehend it. You can just only say, yes, it teaches it, and we've got to receive it, but I don't know how it works. It's much higher. This is sacred ground. It's much higher. And that's really where Paul is. But, but Paul, in declaring that he is of the chosen, is dealing with how he views his, his fellow men and women, brothers and sisters, Israelites, fellow Jews that have not come to faith in Christ. This is his stance. It's not come and be like me. But listen to what he said. I have great sorrow. And unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. He is not gloating in their condemnation. He is not gloating in their judgment. He is not exalting himself over them. There is no, he is saying, let me take their place, God. If that would work, if somehow in your economy you would take me and send me to judgment, to eternal judgment, and let them live, then may it be so. And friends, I have to believe that it's because of this posture that Paul had, had the impact that he did on the church. That so many came to faith because Paul was not preaching from a a position of self-righteousness. He was preaching from a position of, I wish I could take your place and you take mine. Would you come to Jesus? This is a Jesus that is attractive. And yet Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. Friends, the gospel must filter down to your heart To the point that there is no one that you see yourself better than. And so this morning what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, who do you see yourself as better than? Who is it? Name it. Is there a group of people that you feel like you are better than? I've had conversations with people that... I mean, I've seen some division in the church over Republican-Democrat elections, but this last election takes the cake, the party, the building. I mean, there are literally people that say, I just don't know that I can come back to this body because I think that some people voted this way. And I'm not justifying anybody's vote, believe me. But what I am saying is, do you see the power of that? To think that I'm better than even if. I mean, do you see that? Do you feel better than someone in your family and you hadn't called them in 15 years? Do you feel better than someone at work, maybe your boss, maybe that someone works for you and you can barely look at their face? Do you feel better than a spouse or a parent or a child? Do you feel better than? Name that right now because this is where God wants you to do work. Not in convincing them of their issues, but in getting the Spirit to convince you of your issues.
And friends, I am preaching to Richard Reeves this morning. Believe me. Who is God calling to mind right now? I want to give you 30 seconds. If you don't name somebody, I promise you it's not because there's not somebody. So take a few seconds and ask God, who is it? had so many people coming to me lately saying, Richard, this is going on in my family, or this is going on in my family. How do I love my family? Uh, there have been major abuses, and how do I love my family? And first thing I'll tell them is, I've been in counseling for a long time, <laughs> trying to learn the same thing. I need help, believe me. However, the gospel is the answer. What, what Paul, what, what Jesus is addressing in Peter, Peter, your power is not, and your righteousness is not rooted in feeling better and being better than somebody else. But you are free when you are willing to admit I'm the sinner too. And oh, look at my sin. It can't just be hypothetical. It has to be informed. And then finally, loving community is rooted in engaging with Jesus out of desperation. So Jesus leads them or enters Holy Week after this. And Jesus is arrested. We know the story. Jesus is arrested. The, all the disciples run. All the disciples get out of there. Nobody stands with him. Nobody stands up for him. They all betray him. They all run. And that is how they all experienced the cross. Not one of them experienced him as an obedient follower. They all experienced him as betrayers. And dear friends, that is where Jesus led them. He led them to the point. He planned, he brought them, he led them like a gentle savior to the place where they could see him on the cross and themselves as sinners. Where the only conclusion in the depths of their soul is, I am the man and I am the reason. And dear friends, that is the point of deep power for you. That's where Jesus wants you to go this morning. It's where he wants you to go this afternoon. It's where he wants you to go tonight. It's where he wants you to go tomorrow. It's where he wants you to go a year from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. This is our point of freedom. When we stop playing the game of I'm better than because and we start realizing that we are the man that put Jesus on the cross, it's because of our sin that he had to drink the cup of salvation that we can begin to be the people both individually and corporately that God's called us to be. 
Why is his church a multi-ethnic church? Why is his church in Revelation 7-9, why is it a, 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 a multi-class church? Why is it every town, every tribe? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by his grace. And that is our anthem. That is our truth. That is our hope. Every day, seeing specifically how I am a sinner, how I sin, how my sin has, is corrupting the system of the church, the system of my work, the system of my family, the system of my neighborhood, how, how my lifestyle, what I do, what I say, what I don't do, or what, how I am the problem around me. And how I need to repent because then and only then is Jesus on the cross the dearest treasure of my soul and my life. Then and only then when I'm looking up to the cross am I desperate for the man that hangs there. Because what Jesus says is he does give them hope. He says, look, when I'm raised, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. That's what he tells us in our passage. When I'm raised, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. What he's saying is, that's your hope. That I lived, that I died for your sin, that I was raised to explode the power of your sin, that I might be with you in the new heaven and the new earth. Is that your hope this morning? Is grace more powerful than your shame? Hear me. I am not saying that we need to live in guilt Guilt has to take you somewhere. Dan Allender said this, Shame is the way evil works to destroy our capacity to love. I am not calling you to shame this morning. I'm calling you to recognize the reality of your sin and move toward Jesus and receive the forgiveness that only He can provide. Is His grace fresh to you this morning? It's because you are minimizing your sin or you're camping out in shame and you're unwilling to go to the cross. So which is it? Which is it? Have you received His love this morning? Have you received it personally? Is it fresh to you this morning? It's not because it can't be. Dear friends, beg God to show you your heart And then beg God to show you the gentle face of Jesus and all of his love and receive his forgiveness. I want to say one more thing. This whole concept of shame, which we've dealt with a lot this year, it is real. I think it's what the devil uses to paralyze us from walking in the light of the love of God. Because shame doesn't just say you've done bad things. Shame says you are bad. And yet the gospel says you, are, you have sinned and, and your nature is that which moves towards sin and yet you are deeply loved simultaneously. In the same moment, I can be a sinner, the sinner that I am, and yet I can be deeply loved by God, eternally adopted and justified by His life, death, and resurrection. And when those things come together... I'm a sinner who is deeply loved and forgiven and God is delighting over me. He's dancing over me because he's not dealing with me according to my sin, but he's dealt with Christ according to my sin. And he has given me the very righteousness of Christ. 
and I'm robed in Jesus' beauty and God is dancing over me and everything in you says, no, 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 I don't deserve it. Right, but you have it. That's when you begin to love. That's when you begin to forgive. That's when you begin to lay down your foolish works of self-righteousness and you begin to love people that you never thought you could love. Dear friends, the gospel is power to love the person that you could barely admit a minute ago. And maybe you haven't admitted it. The gospel is power to produce a love that only God can do through you. Are you willing to fall in and say, God, oh, oh, give me the faith to believe that I can love, that I can forgive, that I can be this man or woman who gives himself to you. Because, friends, that's the power of the gospel. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would help us in our time of need. I pray this morning that, God, I need your grace to love those that came to my mind afresh, even a few minutes ago. Father, I need strength to believe the gospel this morning. And Lord, I know that I'm not alone. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and give us faith. Help us to love. Help us to live in light of your incredible love for us in Christ Jesus. Would you do great and mighty things this morning, O God? Would you give us faith to believe that we are sinners, but we are loved sinners? Help us to believe the sufficiency of your grace. Father, I pray this morning that you would free many of us in this room to love passionately. God, show us what that means. Show us what you're calling us to. And God, empower us to do it.